Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Hui Huin of Alabama Woodworker, and I'm joined by my friends, Sean Walker of Simple Co. Hey, guys. Hello. And Guy Dunlop of Guy's Woodshop. How are you, man? I'm doing great. This podcast is intended to answer your questions, the woodworking community, and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. We'd also like to thank our newest patron to our Patreon campaign. That's Eric Quackenbush. Quackenbush? I'm sorry, Eric. If you'd like to support the show, we are simply asking for a small donation to cover the costs of bringing you this podcast. So please go to patreon.com forward slash woodshop life if you'd like to show your support. Also, make sure you're sticking around to the end of the show. We're going to be talking about what we got going on in the shop. With that, uh, Guy, uh, you've got the first question, man. So this is from Yarmo. And Yarmo says, hi, guys. Thanks a lot for sharing your knowledge with the rest of us. I don't know about that. <laughs> he says he has a question. I've been seriously woodworking for a couple of years, and I'm still assembling a basic set of tools. One thing I definitely need is more of is clamps. Which ones to choose, though? I have a couple Bessie F-style clamps and some wooden clamps and some wooden ones made by Clemesia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen those before. Clemedia here in Germany. <laughs> what to get next? Are the parallel clamps like Bessie's Revo really worth the extra price? Lots of people in the U.S. seem to use pipe clamps. What's so good about them? Are there any specialty clamps that one should go into my basic kit, like wooden hand screws or one-hander clamps? Uh, Yarmo from Germany. Yeah, that's a really good question, and we could probably spend an entire episode doing nothing about talking about clamps. So mm -hmm. I'm going to address a couple of your questions directly as you list them parallel clamps like bessie's revo really worth the extra price yes there are lots of different types of parallel clamps out on the market there's bessie's revo mm -hmm. uh, and bessie also makes a, a a less expensive line of parallel clamps i can't remember what they're called right now i guess i should have looked it up but jet powermatic make a uh, actually it's just jet makes a set of parallel clamps the newly rebranded Jorgensen. Um, there's Wood River through Woodcraft. There's a lot of different ones out there. And in my opinion, the only two really ones that are worth the money parallel clamp wise are the Bessie or the Jet. The new Jorgensen's how do I put this nicely? I don't know if I really can put it nicely. They're really cheap junk. Jorgensen used to be a quality name. All they did was some company in China bought the, the, the rights to the name. It's low-line garbage for the most part. Their pipe clamps stink. Their parallel clamps are not good. I've seen them in person, and I wasn't impressed. Uh, the Wood River clamps are not much better. So this is just my opinion, of course. Everybody's got their own opinion on this stuff. In some situations, yes, parallel clamps are very nice because they clamp a larger surface without really bending stuff up, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's what makes them parallel. The, the bottom of the jaw and the top of the jaw are supposed to stay parallel. Pipe clamps, I'm a big proponent of pipe clamps. I've used pipe clamps forever and a day mainly because at one time that's all we had was pipe clamps. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no such thing as, as parallel clamps. I was lucky enough to bought a case, like 48, 
of the Jorgensen Pony pipe clamps, three quarter inch, about 25 years ago. I still have some in there in the original box <laughs> sitting in my shop, and they're awesome. The remakes of these to the new Chinese company, again, are junk. I have some Bessies too that they sent me, and they're okay. They're not as good as the original ponies, which you can't get anymore. Mm -hmm. So if you can get a hold of the original ponies, which is going to be tough, uh, you're only going to find them used. I'd recommend it. Specialty clamps go for that. As far as that goes, I use a lot of light duty and medium duty F style clamps and the hand screws are very handy to have around. So uh, how do you feel about all this, Sean? Yeah, I agree. I've never messed around with the pony clamps, new or old. You're talking about the pipe clamps or the bar? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, the oh, Either one. I've only ever used Bessie and Jet parallel clamps, Bessie F clamps, Harbor Freight F clamps are really, really good for the price, uh, depending on the length that you get. I do have a two or four, I think I have four Bora 12 inch parallel clamps. And um, I'm not going to be as harsh as Guy was <laughs> on Pony, but yeah, they're they're not my favorite at all. I don't use them anymore. They're really rough. And the Bora or the Pony? The Bora. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was not going to be as harsh on the Bora as Guy oh, was. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I used to have pipe clamps when I first started. Um, before I purchased the uh, the parallel clamps, they were nice. But I, to be honest with you, I like the parallel better. And I find myself using. I have some Bessie. Did I say Bora? I meant to say Bessie. Yeah, Bessie. There's too many names. Bessie parallel mm-hmm. clamps are my go-to for the most part. The trigger clamps from Bessie are also really awesome that I use now. Uh, I switched out the Irwin for the Bessie. And I do not own a single wooden hand screw clamp. Really? Yeah, I need to get one um, every time that I... As hell. Yeah, I know. And every time I need one, I wish I had one. But then I figure out some yeah. other way to do it and I just forget all about it. Rockler has them at a really good price. Yeah, I'm a fan of the parallel clamps. And um, are the Bessie Revos really worth the extra price? I can't tell you what Clemsia clamps are like, but I would imagine that they are. The Clemidia mm-hmm. clamps? Yeah, the Clemsia. <laughs> Clemsia. But mm-hmm. uh, that's my experience. I'm a fan of the parallel clamps. I really like F clamps and uh, the trigger, the hand, the trigger clamps, whatever they're called. That's what I use in my shop. Um, what about you, Hui? Uh, so I have used both the Bessie Revos. I used to have those. And uh, full disclosure, I am actually a brand ambassador or sponsor with Pony Jorgensen. Before I actually even signed on with them, uh, I used them for about two months. I didn't post anything on social media about it. I wanted to use them pretty extensively and kind of test them comparatively to my old Revos. I did not have, I don't have any of the new Revos. The Revos that I have are like 10 years old. I bought them, I bought them used from a cabinet shop and I could not tell the difference between the two other than some design differences like the Bessie Revos have grooved ridges on them, which help catch with the clutch. However, the Pony Jorgensen's actually have like a coating on them that uh, both repels glue really well, but also locks with their clutch really well. I actually like the Pony Jorgensen's a lot. Uh, I was actually kind of surprised. I thought the quality was very good. Uh, I compared the weight. I compared the quality of the steel. Also, the parallelism of the jaws. 
and the clamping power of both uh, comparatively to the Bessie and the Rivas. I actually thought that the clamping power on the Pony Jorgensen's were stronger. How, how did you measure the... It was based on how much flex was in the, the deflection of the steel. Uh, and actually, uh, and I looked this up too, the steel that they use is not from China. It's actually, the materials are actually based out of, the steel is actually based out of the UK. So they're not actually using raw materials from China although all the machinery is in China and it is being produced. And actually, Pony Jorgensen produces some components for Bessie. So it's actually coming from the same factory. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean in terms of what the quality control is between the two. I have no idea about that. How's the sliding action on the ponies? Oh, it's excellent. I think it's actually better than the Bessies. Um, And one of the reasons is because... The Bessies have the groove on them, the grooving on them, and oftentimes uh, it'll catch a lot of material. So like, you know, glue gunk and whatnot, dust and whatnot. And so I actually think that the Pony Jorgensen slides smoother primarily because of the coating that they have on the steel. And there is a co- there is a coating on the steel because I tested that out too. I actually spread glue along it. The glue comes off very easily, whereas with the Bessies, the glue didn't seem to come off as easily. I, I do like the Pony j- trigger clamps, and I have used the Bessie trigger clamps. I will say wholeheartedly, I think I actually like the Bessie trigger clamps a little bit better because I like the ergonomics of it better. Uh, yeah. I kind of, I, I kind of like the straighter jaws on the trigger clamps for Bessie over the sort of curved jaws on the trigger clamps for Pony Jorgensen. One clamp that I think, hands down, Pony Jorgensen totally wins over on any brand are their industrial I-beam clamps. Those things are virtually indestructible. They're used for welding, woodworking. I mean, it. they're, they're a heavy-duty clamp. I, I have no problem. I mean, I use them now, uh, and I wouldn't have signed on with them if I hadn't at least tested them before I agreed to be a partner with them. So I, I like parallel clamps, and I think they distribute the clamping pressure really well, and that's why I like them. Uh, I have not used a significant amount of pipe clamps. I've only used them a handful of times and I actually don't own any pipe clamps. Well, it's hard to use them at all if you haven't don't have any. <laughs> I've used them once at the uh, community shop. They have a whole bunch I've, of them. I find that pipe clamps are handy. I have three or four sets for really, really long uh, glue ups. I'll grab an eight foot pipe, throw them on there. And now I've got a really long clamp. That's the only time that I use them is if it's longer than my longest uh, parallel clamp. I'll go for pipe clamps 99 times out of 100 before parallel clamps. And I've got both Bessie and Jet, and they both have a little bit of different pros yeah. and cons to them. I don't know if I want to get into that here. Yeah. But um, I'll still go for the pipe clamps every mm-hmm. time versus mm-hmm. a parallel clamp. Now, I actually have a hand screw clamp, and I'll tell you where the hand screw clamp is really uh, comes in handy is both at the router table and the, the drill press, particularly for small pieces. So I think every shop should have, you know, one or two wooden hand screw clamps. They're, they're very useful. Yeah, I definitely need to get one. I need to stop being yeah. lazy. Yeah, and there are a whole bunch of other like specialty clamps that fit in like specific grooves and are used, you know, there's like the Festool style, and then there's... I think uh, Bessie and Pony and I don't think Jet does, but I think Wood River has like some form of a ratchet clamp, like a quick ratchet clamp. And those are useful too, but I wouldn't say they're necessary, but 
I would probably say maybe the two that are probably the most necessary are some form of pipe clamp. Oh, and F-style clamps. I used to actually have a whole bunch of the Harbor Freight F-style clamps. I thought they worked really well. And the great thing about the Harbor Freight F-style clamps is that they actually have a lifetime warranty on them. So if you ever break one, you just go and replace and I've actually replaced several. I actually think they're pretty good. Uh, yeah, I do too. Well, I think that uh, <laughs> that was a good chunk of the episode on that question. That was a big question. That was a good question. Yeah, for sure. Sean, you've got the next one, man. All right. I have a question about my DeWalt DW735 planer. Lately, I've been having trouble with the planer not pulling the wood through. I've tried waxing the wings and the bed and cleaning the rollers with mineral spirits. These help for a bit, but eventually it stops pulling wood through again. Any ideas on what might be causing this? Brian. Well, nothing is more annoying than the rollers not pulling the wood through on any planer. Um, so the first thing that comes to mind are maybe check that your blades are nice and sharp. And if it's struggling to pull the wood through, it's going to seem like the rollers aren't doing their job because the blades are too dull and it's struggling on removing that, that waste. Um, the second thing that comes to mind is you may be taking too deep of a pass, which again is going to cause the planer to struggle to remove the waste and to keep it up at that same speed and to pull it through. Um, and the third thing that I wrote down here for this is I remember watching a video probably, I don't know, a year or so ago. I don't know how I came across it. I don't even own a DeWalt DW735, but I saw a video from a guy mentioning that he had this issue when the temps in the shop were cooler, causing the rollers to harden up and become slick mm. and not pulling the wood through. Mm. And they ended up putting a space heater next to the planer to warm it up and huh. it helped that out. So I don't know if when this question was sent, maybe it's one of those things. I mean, if the rollers are clean and sticky and the beds are waxed, Guy, do you have any ideas on what else it could be if it's taking it too deep of a pass? I had one of these these units for a couple of years. I never waxed the beds. I never cleaned the rollers. I never had an issue with the wood not getting pulled through it. Mm. So take that for what it's worth. I have. I really don't know how much I can add to this conversation. Things I would look at if I did have that issue would the first thing would be, as Sean mentioned, how sharp are the blades? The second thing is, is I would try cleaning the rollers off and I would try waxing the beds because those are the, the three things that are going to negatively impact the ability of the machine to pull the wood through the machine. Mm -hmm. I think the only other thing I could add other than the three things that uh, were already discussed was possibly the feed roller pressure. If there's not enough pressure, the actual rotation of the blades could be pushing against the board and therefore negating the pressure that the rollers might be applying. Yeah, but there's no way, there's no way to adjust it on that planner. Okay, I didn't know that. See, I ne I've never had a DeWalt uh, four post, so really? No. Huh. By the way, Sean, I actually... Uh, rewaxed my bed because on my planer because I actually was starting to get uh, wood that was going through was sort of staying stationary and I was like oh I gotta wax my bed because Sean had mentioned it so <laughs> yeah even we learn stuff from the podcast right so. oh all the time <laughs> <laughs> so. that's the only reason I'm on here is to learn from you guys not to, oh, to pretend I know answers yeah all right but uh hopefully Brian that helps give those three a try rotate your blades try new blades first mm -hmm. I know that's probably the most expensive route that the 735 does it have the blades that you can rotate like the 734 did yeah I think it's got reversible blades yeah 
There you go. Cool. All right, Brian, hope that helps. And Hui, what do you have for us? <laughs> this question is from Dave, and he asks, I'm a DIYer and have accumulated my tools over the years. I have a rigid planer and a rigid six-inch joiner and a jet bandsaw, 14-inch. They all run fine. My question is, would it be worth the money to upgrade the rigid machines with a helix cutter and the bandsaw with a Carter bandsaw guide? If I did them all, it would be around $1,000. So that this is an interesting question because I actually had an older six-inch jet joiner, oh gosh, about five years ago now. It was my second joiner. And I was actually looking into re- replacing that joiner with a helical cutter head. Opted against it primarily, primarily because for what I paid for the joiner versus how much it would have cost to replace it with a helical head, uh, it just didn't seem that cost effective. And on top of that, I kind of planned on upgrading to a bigger joiner anyway. And ultimately, I got an 8-inch with a, with a helical head from Grizzly, which worked wonderfully. I will say that you know having the helical head, it, it, there is added convenience for it in, in terms of not really having to worry about setting the knives on a 6-inch joiner or, or straight knives on a joiner in general. But to be honest, once you sort of figure out how to do it and and you've got a system down, it's really not that bad. And sharpening the blades was also not that bad. And I actually sharpened them myself on my my grinder and I had a little jig for it. Uh, I didn't think that it was worth it. And the reason was because ultimately I planned on upgrading anyway. And so to invest in a machine that I knew I was only going to keep for maybe a year or two, it just didn't sort of make sense for me. However, it sounds like to me that maybe, Dave, if this is a machine that you plan on keeping for a really long time, it might be cost effective for you to do so in terms of uh, the helical head for the for the planer and the jointer. Uh, now, in terms of the bandsaw guides, the Carter bandsaw guides, I actually know somebody that actually reverted their machine back from uh, a ball bearing style guide to getting ceramic guides. And one of the reasons why she had done it, this is actually Jenny Bowles from Willow's Woodworking, was that she actually felt like it was easier to adjust the guides with the ceramic cutter blocks versus or or guides versus the ball bearing guides. And she's switching out her blades quite a bit on the smaller bandsaw. If you're switching out blades a lot, that might be an issue. Although I sort of feel like, uh, you know, if, if it works and if you're happy with it, I don't know if you'll necessarily see, necessarily see a big difference in performance in using the ball bearing guides versus the guides that you already have on your bandsaw now. So again, if this is the machine that you're going to have for a really long time, maybe it's worth it. But if it's something that uh, you plan on upgrading, then I probably would steer away from uh, upgrading that machine because ultimately you might be selling them pretty soon. So. What do you think about that, Sean? Huh. Well, if it were me, I agree with you completely. Is Are these the tools that you plan on keeping for a very long time? If not, I would probably save the thousand, sell the tools and get the ones that you're going to keep forever. Yeah. If you do plan on keeping these for a long time and you're happy with them, that's totally cool. I probably mm. would not put the helical head in the joiner, but would put it in the planer um, just to save you some money. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in my shop, anything that I run through the joiner gets ran through the planer. So if I get tear out, hopefully the planer with the helical head would clean that up. But again, for a thousand dollars and you can do all three items. I mean, it's, it's not, not a lot. that much more. Yeah. yeah. 
as far as the the Carter bandsaw guides, I don't have any information on that. <laughs> I'm currently waiting on a bandsaw, and the bandsaw I had before that had stock guides from Porter Cable, so I have no input on the Carter guides. Yeah. So I'm going to have to. They were um, ceramic guides, right? Were they? I don't know. Sorry? I don't. I don't know much about or those. Phenolic or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about you, guy? Do you have any uh, familiarity with that Carter bandsaw guides? Yes. There you go. I had a. I bought a jet. 14 inch one horsepower bandsaw with a riser block in 1997 Mm -hmm. and it came with ceramic i don't know if they call them ceramic they're not ceramic i think the only thing that has ceramic blocks are the laguna Mm. which we have at work and are shit um (laughs) sorry excuse me pardon me um (laughs) I don't like that Laguna bandsaw period. Anyways, they, they were like, they call them cool blocks. Or yeah. It's like some kind of fiber, plastic impregnated thing. And they were okay. And I did switch. And I did, uh, the thing is, I do a lot of resawing. I did a lot of resawing then, and I still do a lot of resawing now. Mm-hmm. And I did switch to the Carter bandsaw blade or the, 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 the guides. And at that time, I had the thing about a year and I couldn't take it anymore. And I upgraded to the bandsaw guides. And I think at that time, there were a couple hundred bucks. I don't know what they are now. I assume they're still a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, I think they're about the same. It made such a huge market difference between what came with the jet and having those guides. I mean, it was just like a completely different bandsaw. So if you don't want to spend, you know, X amount of dollars to upgrade your bandsaw and you're happy with your 14 inch bandsaw, I highly recommend the Carter guides. They're not cheap. Mm -hmm. However, they're better than any of the stock guides you're going to find on any of those 14 inch bandsaws. Now that may have changed. I'm sure it has changed in 20 years since I bought one of those 14 inch bandsaws. But again, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, I think it's a worthy upgrade. Let me ask you this. Some 14 inch bandsaws are coming with ball bearing guides. Do you notice or do you know of a difference or a significant difference between the Carter bandsaw guides and maybe even stock ball bearing guides? Nope. Okay. Because when I when I bought my Grizzly, it came with the stock ball bearing guide. Well, I still own it i still have it but but it they work great i i like them a lot yeah well not all the grizzly comes with ball bearing guides right right some of them have the euro guides mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which are instead of the 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 ball bearings or the, the the bearings being one way and they're being perpendicular with the blade mm-hmm. they're parallel with the blade and they kind of get sandwiched in between the two of them yeah yeah and i don't know on the, the, the hammer or the felder that you're getting, Sean, which which guides are coming on that. But that's a very common thing on some of those European saws. I think I'm getting the upgraded ceramic setup. Alright. I think. Uh, we'll find hopefully out. The, hopefully, hopefully they're better than the garbage ones that come on the Lagunas. <laughs> uh, I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I've only have, I only have experience with the Laguna 14 inch mm-hmm. with the ceramic guides and I'm not kidding you. It's junk. I, I cannot believe how bad a saw that is. You sure? Maybe you didn't um, just didn't get a bad one, a dud? No, I've spent multiple times, multiple hours resetting that saw up. It just doesn't matter. What's wrong with it? It doesn't seem to have enough power. 
no matter what I do, I can't get the the blade to, to, to track properly. And I've put multiple blades on it. I just don't like it. I can't get it to resaw correctly. But it may be it may be me. It may be that particular saw. I don't know. All I know is that I really despise that saw. We have an old jet, an old jet 14 inch, and I'd much rather use that any day of the mm-hmm. week over the mm-hmm. Laguna. And that's got the cool blocks on it. Anyways, going back to the rigid joiner with the segmented head, I don't know if I'd spend that kind of money upgrading a rigid jointer. Not that there's anything wrong with the, the rigid joiner, but you're, you're, the, the head is more than the, the joiner itself. And you might want to consider just trying to, you know, the, the, the grizzly eight inch with a helical head on it, I think it's like what, 13 or $1,400. I would rather do that and get an eight inch joiner with some nice long beds instead. That would just be me. What about the planer? Planer, you know, it's. Just, I, I don't see how you're going to upgrade all that stuff for a thousand bucks. Yeah, yeah. That was. That's I was what I was wondering that too. too. I was like, maybe two of those. I don't know if we're just not reading it right or something, or he, he was typed it out incorrectly or what. I don't know. Well, Grizzly does sell like six inch heads that may fit those, and they're only about three to four hundred dollars each, I think. So maybe that's what he's getting. Yeah, that that's possible. That's possible. I'm I'm the same as you, Sean. I would rather have the helical head on the planer over the joiner. Yeah. Save a little bit of that for, for the reasons for the reason you mentioned. And I'm sorry if I seem like down on a lot of stuff tonight. <laughs> it's fine. If <laughs> hey, if if I've got an opinion on something and it's through practical experience, I'm gonna give it to you guys. Yeah. You know, and it's it's unvarnished okay. and whether it's popular or not i'm just telling you how i feel and i'm still alive today even though i don't use the saw stop <laughs> and i'm still able to get parallel square cuts without a powermatic Ooh, Ooh. nice <laughs> without a track saw cut in the top oh, okay, <laughs> that cool. final final little dig there <laughs> yeah, nice <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so who's got the next question you have it there you go mm-hmm Okay. Talk to you, man. This comes from Mart, which I assume is short for Martin. Mm-hmm. And it says, I've seen lots of articles on making and using shooting boards, but I don't understand very well the theory behind shooting miters. How does the process work? I mean, if I make a mitered frame and the miters aren't perfect, what is the order of operations or the process for shooting perfectly? while maintaining the perfect length of the opposing sides. This is a really good question, Martin. Uh, As I think about it, it seems like truing a miter also shortens the piece, will introduce a new problem, and I'll end up chasing perfection forever. Can you help me understand this? Yes, I think Hmm. I can help you understand this. And that's a great question because if you like go chasing this miter down, mm-hmm. your frame, you know, your let's say you're making a picture frame, your frame may be 25 inches square. And by the time you get done with it, it'll be four. <laughs> if I'm going to shoot the miters using a shooting board, I don't cut them to the final length. Right. I'll mark them with a marking knife mm-hmm. and I'll cut close to that line. And then I'll use my shooting board with a 45 degree block on it 
to shoot to that marking knife line. Mm -hmm. And the theory behind that is, well, I'm going to make a rough cut. I wouldn't say rough cut, but a a semi-rough cut to get close to that. And then I'm going to finesse it down to my absolute cut line Mm -hmm. with the shooting board, which I know is going to be correct. Mm-hmm. There's also going to be times where sometimes your miter is open on the back and closed in the front or vice versa. And you only want to cut away just a little bit of that to make your miter close and get a 45. In which case I'll take that, that 45 degree block and I may put a playing card in there on one side or the other to right. kind of like only shoot a little, like half the miter. Mm-hmm. So I can take off a little bit off the back of it or a little bit off the front or a little bit off the outside, or a little bit off the inside. And I hope that makes sense, Mark. And I don't know what I left for you guys on that, that answer either. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I can add to that is the accessory you're talking about. Isn't that called donkey's ear? The donkey's ear. What I'm familiar with the donkey's ear that's is for like case miters, I think. Yeah, that's like well, what miters are we? box. I'm, oh, I'm, he said gotcha. a mitered frame. Oh, I yeah. totally missed out on the word miter frame. Well, that completely removes what I was going to add to this whole conversation. So no, yeah. I'm just the donkeys <laughs> here is like a thing that holds the, the board just for our yeah. viewers, our yeah. viewers, mm-hmm. our listeners. <laughs> it holds it at a 45 degree angle, like, like if you're shooting uh, miters on a box. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I use one of those, um, which I do have a video of my YouTube channel using one. Um <laughs> <laughs> or you can, I've seen some people where they, which is also a really good way to do it, which is to they'll have a special shooting board set up where the plane is held at a 45 degree angle mm-hmm. to shoot yep. those 45 degree long miters. Yep. So. Yeah, I totally missed that part about him saying a frame, but yeah, you're right. Uh, maybe the only other thing that I can add is if you cut your pieces to the correct length and for some reason you need to true them up is I would recommend taking the same amount of passes on each end. Yeah. to ensure that you're going to have the same length when you're done. If your plane is tuned correctly, you're taking off the same thickness, nothing moves. Theoretically, you should be able to take the same amount of passes and stay really darn close because you're not taking super thick cuts off of this anyways. Right. Um, that mm-hmm. is what I can add to this guy. Pretty much nailed it. So, Hui, good luck on that. No, I've got nothing to add. That's exactly <laughs> how I did. In fact, actually, that's how I did it when I was doing the – bird's mouth on uh some of the plywood panels that i was making and there were 45s on the corners and you know i i overshot it slightly on the miter saw and then i went to the shooting board to true it up and uh and i did that for each corner and that's exactly how i did it so not really much more to add there so yeah, well i hope that answers your question mark that's that's a really good question and i i i, I said i hope it helped you out so yeah. i don't know who's got the next one i do it's Sean. Yeah. All right. My last question. Hello guys. I'm in the process of building my first real workbench and was wondering how you like the benches that you have. I've seen your benches on YouTube and my questions are, how did you decide on your design slash type of bench and the vice style? Is there any things that you would do next time? That's weird. Is there any things you would do next time? I guess different. The stuff I'm interested in is usually usually furniture using mostly power tools, but want to use hand tools more often. Any other discussion on the topic would be appreciated. Thanks and keep up the good work on the podcast. Don't ever change your format. It's what makes this podcast stick out from the crowd. Travis. That's nice, Travis. Yeah, thank you, Travis. We appreciate that. So I'm going to take these questions one at a time and 
say a few things past the mic. I don't want to cover everything and I'm going to leave you guys a little bit to chat about as well on your benches, but how did you decide on your design slash type of bench and the vice style? I started by finding a design that I thought looked good and had the storage capacity for my shop because uh, when I built my bench, it also served as my outfeed table. So I needed something for that had storage for the tools, but I also made it a little bit wider than a traditional workbench of 28 inches, which is wider than I would like to have it now, but I used it in a, a dual capacity mode for the outfeed mm-hmm. table as well. And I also made it way taller than I would have the, made a traditional bench because again, mm-hmm. I made it to match the table saw height or pretty close because it was an outfeed table. And the last thing that I did when I was deciding the design and type was again, I had the drawers were extremely important for me at the time because I didn't have a whole lot of storage, especially for hand tools. So before I go on to the next question, how did you guys decide on the design and type of the bench that you have and the vice style? The design came down to what I was going to be using it for. And, you know, it just had to be heavy. It had to have a thick top. It had to be able to take a beating, uh, not like my assembly table. You know, I wouldn't, I would not want to do long periods of, hand tool work on my assembly table because it just, it probably wouldn't take the beating in the same way. And the vice style, I got the vice on Craigslist. It was like 70 bucks. It was a twin screw vice, Veritas twin screw vice. And I was fascinated with the twin screw vice and I still like it. It is a little finicky. In other words, when it goes out past about four inches, there's, there's a little bit of binding and sagging that goes on. And that's from what I've heard, that's kind of the nature of twin screw vice. I still like it. You know, I'm happy with it. I'm not planning on changing it or switching it at any point. So I'm very happy with it, but it is, you know, a little finicky past four inches, but I purely decided to get that vice on the fact that I got it for a really good price. So Guy, how about you? Bench design was strictly a, a product of how much room I had. Yeah which was not a whole hell of a lot. I use hand tools. I am by no means a hand tool expert. I'm not an expert at anything, actually. (laughs) Um, I I would rather dedicate space in my shop to something other than a six or an eight foot, 400 pound monstrosity. Mm. I have better uses of the space. So my bench is only, I think, 42 inches long by... 24, 26 inches wide. Uh, but the thing weighs, but it does weigh a couple hundred pounds. It's a beast. Right. And for when I do use hand tools, it is very handy to have something I can chop with a chisel with and not have stuff bounce around everywhere. As far as the vice goes, I have a Veritas quick release vice. I didn't think I'd ever need a twin screw and I didn't want one. So I just went with a traditional quick release vice and it's from Veritas and it's a very nice vice and I'm perfectly happy with it. So, I mean, I don't do a ton of hand cut dovetails and all that garbage. So none of that stuff really <laughs> matters to me having, <laughs> having 20 inches between the screws. It's just, <laughs> a big waste of time for me, but that's me. I mean, I can see if you're going to do a lot. And if I did, if I did go down that track of, you know, Hey, I'm going to become a hand cut dovetail expert. I would just make a mox advice. Yeah. 
and yeah, save myself hundreds of dollars. Yeah, twin screws are not cheap. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, whereas the hardware from Moxum vices are relatively inexpensive. In yeah, it's cheap for stuff. sure. Yeah. So. All right. So the second part of this question is: there anything that you would do different next time? Um, I've got four items on the list that I made up while I was thinking about this question. I would make it narrower at and stop at 24 inches. I'd make the bench shorter by two to three, maybe even four inches. Uh, it's just way too high. And if I need it to be the work to be raised, speaking of the devil, I'll use the, the moxin vice and I would not have a top drawer so that I can use hold fast. And I'll probably end up removing that top drawer now so that I can use hold fast uh, and finally, and this one is a huge deal, I would move the placement of the vise to the side of the bench instead of the end. Because right now, if I want to work a longer board, I've got the bench up against the wall. I have to end up moving the bench out, which is a pain in the butt. I would move it to the side, the vise to the side of the bench so that I could work longer boards and have access to the vise in a way better spot because of where my, my bench is located right now. Um, those are the four things that I would change Guy, speaking of your bench, uh, we'll go with you. Is there anything that you would change if you were to, to do it different? Yes. I have my bench set up where the overhang is on the right side of the bench as you're facing it from inside of the shop. And I don't know why I did that. I should have had the overhang on the other side to the left of the bench because that's where all my hand tools are. I'm sitting with my back to my clamp rack and all my hand tools are at the other side of the bench on the wall. And I've thought about, you know, reconfiguring it and doing all oh, I'm just too lazy. I haven't, I haven't done it. <laughs> but it does, there's not, I guess what it really boils down to is the two or three times, maybe a year, I sit at the bench to do something like that. It's an annoyance, but it's not worth me spending a day or two reconfiguring the bench for that. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and understand that completely. I think the only thing I would change is uh, my twin screw vice is 24 inches on center, the screws, but I actually have about four or five inches on either side of, this, of, of each screw. And they're really, it's kind of dead space. I mean, there's really no purpose for that because uh, clamping outside of that really is ineffective because it will rack it. So yeah, I probably would make the jaw of the vise a little bit shorter by maybe say four inches, two inches off on either side, because it really is kind of uh, unproductive to have that much overhang on either side of the screw. So that's yeah. what I would change. Other than that, I, I mean, size and height wise, it's 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 pretty good. So it's about five foot long. So all right, well, Travis, I hope that helps. And Hui, you've got the next one. All right, this is from Stock Built. How do you know when a piece of sandpaper is worn out or no longer the grit it says it is? I use high quality Klingspore sanding discs that last a long time, but not sure how to tell when they are no longer effective. Is there a board footage or rule of thumb you guys can talk about? To be honest, I'm not a very big fan of Klingspore sandpaper. I kind of kind of prefer Festool sandpaper over Klingspore. That's obviously not here nor there but yeah, i was about to say what <laughs> it's like a left turn didn't it uh, sorry i'm I'll, I'll i'll take that out no don't take it out don't take okay it out. all right because i'm not a fan of cling sport sanding paper either yeah i'm I, I just feel like it rips very easily i've used it before and um i just didn't really like how long it lasted comparatively to festival sandpaper i thought you liked murka 
I don't have, I've never used Merca. Oh, okay. I wouldn't be averse to trying it, but I've never used Merca. So I am very guilty of using sandpaper for longer than it should. And you can definitely tell that you are getting down to the end of the life of the sandpaper when it's not cutting as well as it used yeah, to. It's, pretty, it's not cutting anymore. Uh, I don't really know much more <laughs> than to say that. I mean, if, if you're going over a piece, right, and if, if, you're, if you're passing about a second, you know, every couple of inches or something like that, back and forth, back and forth, and you notice that you're having to go over the same area more so than you did when you first put on the sandpaper, then it's time to change it. You'll also notice that there's a lot more loading because now uh, there are going to be a lot finer particles that are loading into the paper. Uh, so you'll see a lot more loading on the bottom of your sander. But I mean, other than that, I mean, you'll just notice that it's just not cutting as effectively and it's just not removing material. Do you guys use the uh, the pencil thing? You know, you put pencil marks on the wood and you kind of go back and forth and see if kind of done when those pencil marks are removed. You guys do that? Yes, and no. I use pencil marks to let me know if I've sanded that side or not. Mm -hmm. And that's it. I don't use them as a gauge that I've done even sanding because I don't need to do that because I'm so good. (laughs) I know my sanding is even. I'm serious. I mean, I've been sanding for decades. I mean, it's not rocket science. Definitely Um, not. You just have to do it in in an orderly fashion and you'll get even coverage. Uh, It's the people that go willy nilly all over the top in 20 different directions at once. They're the people that have problems with that. So I don't see the need to mark on there. I just put a really light pencil line because if I'm sanding and I've got 20 pieces I'm sanding and they're all, you know, that's like five pieces Mm -hmm. or I should say four sizes and five different pieces of each size I forget what I've done. So when I pick up the piece and first put it on my, my sanding pad, I'll just take a, a light pencil line and just mark it. And that way I know when that, because I'll forget, oh, would I do that side? Did I do that side? Or did I do that side? That's yeah. the reason I really use that. As far as the question about, you know, when the sandpaper is, is, is not good anymore, it's exactly what you said, we, when it stops cutting. I probably use my sandpaper. I'm a big fan of the Festool sandpaper also. I use my sandpaper probably way longer than I should. Um, But the Festool sandpaper does last longer than any sandpaper I've used. And also coupled with or combined with a a Festool sander, there isn't really much of a, as you said, a loading problem. Uh, it keeps the sandpaper fairly clean between the, well, the the grains of sand, I guess, you, if you could say that. It's just one of those things you get used to it. And it's like, okay, you know, it's time to change my paper. Stock built, I don't, I don't know if that's his real name. Is, he, says, he asks, is there a board footage or rule of thumb you guys can talk about? No. Yeah. I really don't think there is a. I don't think so either. No, not with different brands and, and quality of sandpaper. And different types of wood. Wood, right. But one thing that I like to do is I'll, I get all of the grits out that I'm going to use, 80, 120, 150, 180, 220. 
After a while, I'll flip it over, dust it off. If the sandpaper feels smoother than the next grit that I'm going to be using, then I know I probably should switch that sand that disc out. For yeah, that's disc. that's a that, I never thought of that. That makes way too much sense, Sean. Yeah, Stop doing that. There's Good a tip. couple of times that I do things that make sense. That's one of the two. Unfortunately, I can't share my other one for another 50 episodes. All right. Even a squirrel finds a nut. Right. Yeah, that's right. I'm not going <laughs> to, I myself also use high quality cling spore sanding discs. So, I mean, I'm a fan of them myself. And plus I'd rather save the money. As you'll know, I'm a cheap woodworker and not buy the festival discs. And I'm sure a lot of you are probably saying, but you're going to spend the money in the long run. Would you buy more discs? I don't think so. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a different argument. And, and I agree with you. I just, uh, for me, I just think I get more use out of the, the festival stuff. I understand, Sean. I get it. I, I get it. So I don't want to, no, I don't want to crap on the guys. He uses high quality cling spore. I'm not going, I'm not going to tear him down. <laughs> no, there's, no. Hey, by all means, use it. All I was saying is before is I, I, I shouldn't say I'm not a big fan of it. I just prefer yeah. the festival over the cling spore. I've used the cling spore before and it's, it's sandpaper. Right. Right. Correct. It's all about how much money are you going to spend? How often you're going to have to replace it? And do the math. If it's better for you to buy the higher quality sandpaper that's going to last longer, but more money, how much do you woodwork? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, Sean, have you ever heard the expression, you could shove a piece of coal up your butt and it would turn into a diamond? <laughs> I think so. That's you, brother. That's right. Oh. <laughs> we're keeping that. Um, I'm just teasing. I'm just we're teasing. keeping it. Yeah. We're keeping it. It's a good one. It's a good one. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about... Uh, about what we got going on in the shop. So, Guy, what do you got going on? I think you got quite a bit going on, don't you? No, I got nothing going on, man. Um, I finished my kitchen island. Yeah. Did some wiring. I did some wiring. I spent some time, spent some quality time in my crawl space. That's mm-hmm. always fun. Uh, that's about it. I've been doing some, I got a honeydew list of oh, stuff okay. I'm working on outside the house that, that's... I really don't, I, I prefer not to relive through talking about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I have been out in the shop for a while. I got some uh, chance to go out there today a little bit. My wife asked me to make her picture frame. Mm-hmm. So I got, I got that done pretty quick. I mean, it's a picture frame. So nice. um, that's about it, man. What about you, Hui? I have been making a couple of cabinets. I had to make a medicine cabinet. So I did the carcass for that and a little bit of frame that's going to go behind a mirror so I can attach some cup hinges to it. And then I also finished the doors and also the carcass for a linen cabinet, just doing a modern shaker door with an MDF center panel. Came out nice. Got to attach the doors to that. And then I've got to get it all painted. And I hate painting and I am still going to work in the midst of all this COVID-19 stuff, I'm actually still going to work. So I don't have a ton of time in the shop, but I did effectively get that done. And I did the solid wood edge banding on some plywood panels that will be veneered shortly after I get these bathroom cabinets done. I do have a question for you though. Sure. What is a modern shaker door? So it's different than a traditional shaker door. So what I've heard is that, a modern shaker door has that chamfer on the inside of the frame. That's it. As opposed to a uh, traditional sh- uh, shaker door is just square. The frame has a detail on it. Yeah. Yeah. How modern. 
How modern. Yeah, I don't know if I'd call that a shaker door. I'd call it something else. Whatever it is, that's what that's what I that's what I heard it called. Uh, I've never heard that before. By whom? By Infinity Cutting Tools and Woodline. That's how they have it classified. That bit. Okay, I'm just wondering. I just never heard of an, a modern shaker profile before. Other than that, I don't know what what I guess it would be called. Other than I guess Cope and Stick Door or Cope and Stick Joinery. But anyway, uh, it is a Frame and panel door with a chamfer on the inside. I just like I just like to listen to you squirm. Oh, really? <laughs> Am yeah. I squirming? It sounds like it. So, Sean, what about you? Finishing up the hall table, waiting for my bands hall to be hopefully delivered within the next week. Nice. Uh, finally, it's it's. I mean, it's only been six months that I've not had a bandsaw in the shop, and it's been brutal. <laughs> wow, it's a long time without a bandsaw. Yeah. What size is it? Seventeen, I think. 17, yeah, 17, three and a quarter, I think three, three and a quarter, something like that. I can't remember. It's been is it a like ha- a hammer or a felder. No, it's a hammer. It's a hammer. Yeah. That's a Laguna with a cling spore sandpaper. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a N4400. Yeah. The hammer N4400. It's nice. I, I looked at that saw at one time. Three and a half horsepower. Yeah. That's a nice saw. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. And I've got, I've had the accessories that I ordered for it. I've had those for over a month or two. I got the <laughs> circle cutting jig, the extension table, the belt sanding attachment. Uh, I got another extension table coming and the mobile base. That's like getting a new Corvette and the only thing they can give you are the floor mats. Yeah. And a spare tire. <laughs> spare tire. It's like, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> so after... The hall table is done. I've got to put one more drawer pull on it. Then I'm going to deliver it this weekend. Uh, I'm going to clean the the shop and and probably not do anything until the bandsaw comes because I'm still sort of rearranging stuff too. But that is uh, all that I've got going on. Well, I think that wraps up the show. Uh, please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions, please send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or you can DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. We'd also like to thank everyone who has left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and feedback. And you can reach me at alabamawoodworker.com and all my links to my social media are on my website. Guy, where can we find you? Uh, Guyswoodshop.com. Sean? Simplecove.com. All right, guys. Thanks for talking, and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple. See ya. See ya.